Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. Here we are, Father John, Nathan Goble. Nathan just announced some exciting news. He bought tickets to the Abbott Brothers in July 6th. July 6th at 10.01 today. That's right. Pre-sale, but we're still in the 40th row. But we do love the Abbott Brothers. So. How you doing over there? You right? Yeah, I'm just... <laughs> I sound like I'm like really far away. I wonder if this microphone's even working. Maybe you're just spiritually far away as we talk right now. That's, it's that, a very, that, that's an excellent segue into our author. It's a very uh, quiet, calm evening uh, here. I had a very busy day up in Boulder, Colorado. We're back in the swing of things, second semester, and uh, we're rolling. So Nathan's got the topic tonight, which I'm sure will be riveting, scandalous. That's right. Well, uh, scandalous, yes. Um, riveting, maybe not. So... Um, Okay, so I thought I was going to have a really sweet podcast on, like, an unknown Catholic author that, that no one's ever heard of, and, like, I could just wow you with, man, if you haven't uncovered this guy, please do. Um, but, uh, sadly, that is not the case. It is not the case. Um, but we're excited anyways. I mean, we're just filled with excitement. Okay. So, let's take us back. So, uh, we don't have a blockbuster in our town. No. Um, Blockbusters are out, man. Well, yeah, but even before blockbusters were out, they were... Are you talking about Mount Zion, Illinois? Mount Zion, true pole of the earth. Um, So we have Video Zone, which closed, and you have Family Video, but, you know, they were just getting off the ground. So whenever I'm at home, (laughs) I have to do this really odd thing where I go into the Decatur Public Library and rent movies from them. From the the 1940s. Yeah, well, they've got a pretty wide selection. But uh, the weird thing is... um, uh, there's just a very odd cast of characters that instead of getting Netflix or instead of having access to like, you know, really good movies, th- you get some like really creepy people like, you know, checking out movies from the library. Right. If you're not like a, a mother like of children, like <laughs> that's like getting family videos, you have all these other guys that are just like getting weird stuff. So I'm like sorting through like trying to find a good movie and I see this uh, movie called The Painted Veil. The Painted Veil. You ever seen this? Never heard of it. Okay. Um, and it's got Edward Norton and Naomi Watts. So, um, and I had seen the trailer and it was one of those movies that it's like, well, I don't have a girlfriend, so, um, I'm probably not going to go see this. So, um, and you know, since no one was around, this this is like, uh, when was that last, it was like two, three years ago. Uh, it was whenever I was like at home anyways. So I rented it and, uh, I was absolutely mesmerized. Asian cinematography has a has a really weird effect on me. It's just kind of like <laughs> dreamy and like, you know, everything's kind of like floaty and beautiful. It's like right. Last Samurai, uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Winter, fall, summer. Yes, yes, yes. Summer, fall, wait, spring, fall, spring, summer, fall, winter, spring. Anyways, that's a movie. It's a really weird movie and, you know, some odd uh, love scenes. Just when you thought you knew Nathan Goble, you hear about his secret love of Asian film. Not for children. Um, So, so anyways, so I get this film and it's beautiful and it actually has a lot of, like, um, uh, themes of beauty and truth and goodness. And I'm like, wow, this is great. Why is nobody talking about this? And... um, so, just to give you, like, you know, the Reader's Digest version. I'm not giving you the spoiler. I'm just giving you the teaser. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> um, so, um, this woman is, like, she's the oldest daughter, and she's very beautiful. 
Um, but she's overly concerned with what kind of marriage she's going to get. And so she has all these guys that are, you know, trying to, you know, uh, court her. And uh, eventually what happens is she turns them all down and then her sister gets married to some like, you know, Duke. And those of us who are already enjoying Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey. will be thrilled by these kinds of terms. So this is a British. This takes place in England? Uh, it does. In, in the first part, it takes oh, place in England. Very good. So you're in England. And uh, she freaks out because, you know, her sister gets married to this duke, and who is she going to end up with? And so she's like, I'll take the first guy that, you know, I get my hands on. It's this random bacteriologist um, who she's like, him, I'll, I'll, you know, marry him. So she marries this guy, and he's a bacteriologist. In This is Catholic stuff you should know, but... <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, you, you did subscribe to the right podcast. Okay, go ahead and continue. <laughs> shoot. Okay, so... Um, okay, so then they go over to China, and she gets bored immediately. With her bacteriologist With friend. her bacteriologist. This is Naomi Watts. Because she realizes, why in the heck did I even marry this guy? And she begins this torrid affair. Um, with Edward Norton. With, no. Edward Norton's the guy she marries. Oh. With the other guy who was the, you know, one of the members of the Scream clan or whatever. He was like the murderer in Scream 2. Oh. Or something. I don't know. <laughs> Scream one, whatever. I don't know if the college kids who are listening to this know Scream movies. Are you serious? That was like the nineties. I've seen like two horror films in my life, and Scream two is one of them. Anyways, so uh, her husband finds out, and and instead of divorcing her, he says, "I'm going to take you with me into a cholera epidemic in the middle of Meitan Fu, um, China." So he's. He's taking his wife instead of giving her the divorce. He takes his wife, and he and he. It's almost like he's gonna. He's going on a suicide mission or a mutual suicide mission because he's like, we don't know if we're gonna survive this, and you know I don't really care because you don't love me, and you know I'm not gonna kill you, but you know I'm gonna let whatever happen. All right. So teaser. Teaser. This is gonna. This is. Are you gonna is, blow the ending in the movie for us? No. So uh, anyway, so I'm like you know fascinated by the movie. It's great. I tell everybody to watch it. So then this Christmas, whenever I'm at home, I go to the old book barn huh. in, in my in my hometown or outside my hometown, and uh, I find The Painted Veil by, I'm going to I'm gonna me- murder this guy's name, <laughs> W. Somerset Maham. Maham. M-A-U-G-H-A-M. Maugham? Maugham. Let's do Maugham. M. Somerset Maugham. So, so I'm like, well, the book's got to be just as good as the movie. So I get the book. And my family, they're not like, well, I shouldn't say that. My family's big readers, but not of classic literature. They like sci-fi novels. Hardy Boys kind of stuff, yeah. Yeah, my mom used to read Hardy Boys and Trixie Belden, if you've ever you know, heard <laughs> Agatha that. Christie. There's like 70-year-old women that know about Trixie Belden. That's about <laughs> it. Um, so I get it, and I don't get a chance to read it because I'm like, oh, I'm on break. I'm going to read all these theology books right, that I right. brought home. And uh, I have it sitting on the uh, kitchen table for, like, you know, a day. And my mom picks it up. And she reads the first, like, 30 pages. Then I come home the next night, and my dad's reading it. He reads the next 60 pages. Then I have to catch up. I read 40. Then my dad finishes the book. My mom finishes the book. And they're like, you have to read this. So we read it together. And the book is just as good as the movie. Wow. It has a different uh, plot and a different, you know, accent on the end. Not giving anything away. But that being said, I'm like, this guy's got to be Catholic. So I'm like super excited. We're on Villa together. I go on Wikipedia and I'm like, this guy's Catholic. No one's ever heard of him. I've just uncovered the next C.S. Lewis or right. something. 
Who wasn't Catholic. <laughs> Who's not Catholic, but, you know, important. Okay. What I found was... This is from Wikipedia, by the way. It's Wikipedia, but it's, you know, honest. Somerset Maugham um, was not a Catholic. He was uh, baptized a Christian, I think. It doesn't really have his baptismal record on Wikipedia. But um, he his parents died when he was very young. Uh, I think he was like 10. Then he went to live with an uncle who was very stern and emotionally distant. This is Wikipedia. I was going to say, that doesn't sound like yes, something I know, you would say. I know everything. So, um, and then he, he, he develops this stammer. He develops, you know, a stammer. So he thought about going to a career in... Uh, law, but they're like, you have a stutter, you're, you're going to embarrass us. Then he's like, well, maybe I'll become a preacher. And they're like, you don't even really believe. And you have a stammer. What is a stammering preacher going to do? So he ends up uh, becoming a medical professional. And, you know, this is all career stuff. So I'm reading, la, 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 where's his conversion? Well, it turns out he had an affair with a man who Ooh. was 10 years his older. Um, and then later on in life, he had multiple affairs uh, with married women um, but then all the time kept his uh, kept his lover Haxton, <laughs> oh um, and so his his like you know affairs these women that he would live with found it really awkward that he was living with this man. Okay, that being said, why am I talking about this? What's the big? That name? is absolutely the question I was just going to ask. Exactly. Yeah. Why is this microphone not working? I don't know. Um, the the point is, um, how is it that people who live really sinful and uh, lives that are far away from the church and from uh, anything Christian that we would acknowledge can write literature um, that speaks to the truths of the human heart so much so that they can pass for Christian. That is interesting. Let me read you. Let me read you some lines. Excellent. From wikipedia.com. No, this is, well, yeah, it is Wikipedia or something. So here's some here's some lines from, from the book. Uh, this is Kitty uh, speaking speaking to... Haxton. No, Haxton or <laughs> whatever his name is. How can I be reasonable? To me, our love was everything and you were my whole life. It is not very pleasant to realize that to you it was only an episode. That's actually, that's the husband speaking to the wife. So he loved her. And tried to love her, and she was just like, meh, not really interested. Next next guy. I have an idea that the only thing which makes it possible to regard this world we live in without disgust is the beauty which now and then men create out of the chaos. The pictures they paint, the music they compose, the books they write, and the lives they lead. Of all these, the richest in beauty is the beautiful life. That is the perfect work of art. Hmm. Because in some way, this guy is living a life that is so far away from the church and so far away from morality and goodness, but he's grasping at something far more important than just, oh, let me write a good book. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, there's a couple of things that, I, that come to mind here. I know your mic's not particularly working tonight. I think we can turn it up when we finish, though. So go ahead. Go ahead and speak, speak loudly. But there's a couple of things, you know, just thinking about... Um, I know the problem. <laughs> it was backwards. Ty put it in backwards. This is a, this shows how professional this podcast is. The microphone was in backwards, so there we I'm go. Nathan. Now he's comfortable. That's right. It was a little awkward at the beginning there. We're Wasn't back. that weird? It was. Okay, we're back. Yes. So you just asked me a completely random rhetorical question that, you know, was that just a filler? Did you want me to... I, 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 okay. was, in a, I was in a great bookstore in Seattle, Washington... And uh, 
just last week. And it was just packed with people who are looking for literature. And Seattle had a, just a, this bookstore had an absolutely atrocious theological section, a religious section, as they say, horrible philosophical section. But I was thinking about the literary form, and I picked up a book by P.G. Woodhouse. You know P.G. Woodhouse? No. He created the character Jeeves. Ah, going yes. Going back to Downton Abbey. Jeeves is the valet of uh, a guy named Bertram Wooster. And uh, P.G. Woodhouse is one of the greatest... Um, 20th century authors from England. He's a he's comedic. So if you like Downton Abbey, he's making fun of the aristocratic world mm-hmm. of the Brits and just how funny they are. But this character Jeeves is amazing, and you know Jeeves from the website and the whole bit. Ask Jeeves. I yes. think that was in the 90s too. Yeah. Now yeah. it's ask.com. Yeah. If they don't know about Scream, they definitely don't know about <laughs> askjeeves.com. <laughs> but uh, but I was thinking to myself, uh, I don't know. I was reading a lot of theology, and I was just kind of bored, and uh, had kind of needed to not Balthazar, obviously other stuff, but uh, you can never be bored from that. But I was thinking, I need to kind of spice something up, and there was something about Woodhouse that he just brings me back alive in a way. And he's not Catholic. I don't even think he's probably mm-hmm. just you know mm-hmm. secularized Anglican or whatever. But uh, but brilliant and and amazing and. Not just like, oh, that was refreshing, but like speaking to my heart, like bringing like real joy into my life. And there's something about the literary form that conveys that. The question I have for you is, as a Catholic, with your Catholic kind of sacramental imagination, are you engaging this text from that? Or is it coming up in them themselves? The seeds of the logos, as Justin Martyr would right. talk about. Like the, the, this is in them in something. And they're giving it expression, even if they're completely living a life uh, that's contrary to that. Right. He is not, obviously, as we have proved, not writing it for a Catholic audience or for a Christian audience. He's writing his work to the world, um, given his own experience of his humanity and even of God. Um, because uh, in this in this book and in this movie, nuns... Uh, play a significant role towards the end of the of the of the both of the works. Um, so, how does this man have the capacity to write in such a way that I'm I mistake him for a Christian? But the weird the, to your question, um, what is it about literature and and even you know the world you know the world of art that as Catholics we can appropriate to ourselves our own heritage and say, no, actually, you may not have written that as a Catholic, but what you said was true, good, and beautiful, and it's properly ours, right, you know? Right, And I think of that great line from Dr. Joel Barstett, which is funny because we talk, this is a professor at the seminary who we quote all the time, but who will never, ever listen to this podcast. Right. But he had that great line, he said, in defining what it means to be Catholic, he said, to be, to, to be Catholic is to see truth wherever it may be found right and i think that's the most brilliant and profound line that i've heard at least living in boulder living in a post-christian world to be able to say that like what do we have to offer to the to the world so to speak it's a we're able to engage truth and see truth wherever it may be found not because we're so spiritually enlightened but because christ is the truth that definitive claim is what allows me to read pg woodhouse or uh haxton's lover what's his name again mogham somerset mogham somerset um, yes, but to be able to kind of draw into that, into the wealth of Christ, when you have the fullness, you can you can see the particulars, you can see the pieces, the fragments. And here's the other crazy thing, and this is this is a conundrum to me, my friend. But sometimes, and I hate to say this, when we go outside of the world, we see people engaging humanity more profoundly 
and more authentically than we are within the church. Right. That's because, a scary thought. Because we're looking for a Catholic ghetto even within literature. Yeah. Because, you know, frankly, I'm, I can name off all the Catholic authors, right. you know, and I can even name off, you know, non-Catholic authors that have written on Catholic subjects. Right. Mark Twain and, you know, Joan of Arc and, um, you know, whoever else. Okay. So are we going to make our bookstores or our bookshelves filled with only those authors that we know and that we're comfortable with and that, um, well, since they have the name Catholic, they must be good. I hate to say this, we have a relatively few number of, a small number of the Catholic literary giants, okay? I mean, in the earlier centuries, yes, you know, Dante, Augustine, Thomas More, you know, like if you're looking at those, but nobody's reading Fifty Shades of Grey thinking, oh, I wish somebody would write a Catholic version of this. Right. I'm not going to get into Fifty Shades of Grey. Do not read it. (laughs) Um, I didn't read it. Confession. You didn't read it as a family. Yeah, no, oh, definitely gosh. not. So, um, but that was the thing. I was looking for him to be a Catholic to confirm what I read instead of what Barstad said. Somebody just rang a doorbell. Wh- who could that be? <laughs> um, but um, I was looking for him to be a Catholic, and he wasn't a Catholic. But if I had it with, with Barstad's quote, where the Catholic is, I mean, in the truest sense, universal, right. kataholos, according to the whole, I can look at the whole and that was, say. That was Greek, by the way. Yes, <laughs> brilliant. Um, isn't it so much better now that my microphone's back on, right? Um, so then I can look at that and say, no, this is this is okay. Like, I can read this. Now, I'm not saying that you can read anything, you know, because it, it will have an effect. I mean, there are some pretty steamy pages in this, in this, in this, you know, novel that I was like, holy cats, I need to set this down for a little while and, you know, take a cold shower because I'm not accustomed to it. I'm not, a, I'm not accustomed to that, to that kind of, um, reading or, you know, whatever. So the point is, that's Christian, by the way, Christian, this is Nathan. Hello, Christian. We're podcasting. What's up, man? Christian just walked in. He's a student of ours at CU. So go ahead and continue though. Yes. He doesn't get a microphone and he probably won't cackle like Steph did. So. Oh gosh. <laughs> Laugh track girl. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, so I was, I was fascinated by reading it. And here's the other thing. Um, and, and as with any of my podcasts, you know, it's going to be disjointed and weird and, you know, you'll laugh at some point. So here's the, here's the, here's the second point. At one point in my um, spiritual life, and even t- till today, my spiritual director, Father Goronsky, said, you need to start reading literature because literature is going to teach you things about the human heart that you can't read in a theological book. And that's so true yeah. because we're captivated by these characters because they embody something in us that groans for expression. And so when we encounter somebody that is able to express what we're feeling or some semblance of some memory or sin or redemption or, or even like non-Catholic themes, just beauty and, you know, like true love, which are Catholic themes, but like, you know, not found in the catechism, even though those are. So anyways, um, he digresses. Let me digress. Um, that uh, that it's okay. It's okay to like to, to to dig into this literary form and and seek after Christ, even if Christ isn't specifically mentioned, you know, in some manualistic way. Right now, I I will say that I also think that um, it's perilous in the sense that like 
if you try and do this without an active uh, prayer life, where you're actually yep. seeking Christ and you're you're in a deeper way imp- appropriating the Catholica, right? We're not just Catholic because we were baptized or because we're, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But to become and to embody that in a deeper way, that's what allows you to seek that. So I guess what I'm saying is guarding against presupposing that we can just go read yes. anything and, and appropriate what is true, good, and beautiful. You actually can't, but it's, it's in, to the extent that Christ forms us in that that we're able to engage the world with that but we desperately need to do that right it's a task that's so important Goronsky again you know the master another says, man who will never listen to this podcast that's right he, yeah he he said I told him I was going to podcast he says yes your podcast is very important is <laughs> very very popular isn't it I'm like yeah our podcast podcast I, I sound like a spice girl um uh he says there's two books that I keep on my nightside stand Agatha Christie and the Imitatio Christie, The Imitation of Christ, Thomas Kempis. No pun intended. Isn't that, oh yeah, isn't that crazy though that that like he's able to look not only into the depths of his own soul and in, into humanity in The Imitation of Christ, which, you know, I don't know if we've done, done a podcast on that, but I'm not a big expert on it because it's a frightening book because it, it pierces to the heart of what every person experiences. But then also the Agatha Christie, which is just about this like random, you know, Mer- what is the guy's name? I don't even. I don't Some even. random detective. Haxton, maybe. Haxton, yes. <laughs> um, that that he he's like you know going through life and solving these mysteries, and that's what we're trying to do. In some sense, we're trying to solve the mystery not only of our own you know inexpressibleness and like the the weirdness and the chaos that happens in our life, but like to understand the mystery of the logos, which isn't something to be, um, uh. Christ is not something to be comprehended. He's something that can be apprehended. But, you know, just be very careful. He's He'll, he'll always remain a, a mystery. He'll always remain beyond our grasp. But he's still, by taking form, he's still within our grasp, which makes it all the more weird that it's like, wait a second, you're saying that there's a God, and you're saying that he took form, and I can somehow know him, but, like, now he's mediated through this church, and yet, at the same time, the church is visible and yet mysterious and all this other stuff. So we're constantly surrounded by mystery and not like the Encyclopedia Brown kind of mystery. Right. So, um, And I think that's yeah. what the literary form does. Poetry and the literary form force us back into mystery. And if you – a prayer life uh, and a spiritual life and a theological life without literature – is really a very dangerous thing. And I fall, I am the first to say I do that all the time, right? I only read literature when I'm in desolation. But when I think about the people who are Catholic, like the Catholic writers, going back to them, but who look like they're not that Catholic, example, Bernanos, um, mm-hmm. his book, The Diary of a Country Priest, you read it and you're like, oh my gosh, this is like ridiculous. Right. Peggy, Claudel, they're all French. I don't know, you know, if there's something there. But they seem to be... Simone Vey. They seem to be... Uh, not Catholic, but in fact, they're expressing something uh, much more profound. And so, yeah, literature dra- demands us and throws us back into humanity and into mystery. And we're living in an age that it, we're so estranged from ourselves anthropologically that uh, we have to have that kind of counterbalance. Otherwise, we will be over-spiritualizing our humanity constantly, and we're going to get really weird. And we all know that what that looks like. And yep. you probably see that in ourselves as well. Yeah. Well... Two final quotes because we can wrap this baby up. Let's wrap it up. Go to your go to your local public library and get the painted veil. Two quotes from um, Mogham, Somerset. Um, okay, so he says this in the book, The Painted Veil. One can. This is said by a nun who's talking to Kitty, 
that's the main protagonist's name, and uh, she's going, you know, she she's searching. She says, one cannot find peace in work or in pleasure in the world or in a convent, but only in one's soul. And and Somerset wrote this, okay? And we talked about his history. It's a pretty volatile, you know, sin-filled history. He wrote this in regards to another book, another famous book of his called uh, Of Human Bondage, okay? Think about his history. The impotence of man to govern or restrain the emotions I call bondage. For a man who is under their control is not his own master, so that he is often forced to follow the worse, although he see the better before him. Mm. I don't know what the state of this guy's soul is. And and it's important that, you know, I as a priest someday, you as a priest already, you as Christians out in the world, you're going to encounter people that may not be uh, Christian or Bible-believing Christians or, or Sunday-going Catholics, but you're going to encounter a human soul that thirsts for God, and you have no idea at what point in their journey they're going to be. So don't write them off just because they have a gay lover named Haxton, you know? Maybe in Haxton, they're searching for something that's much deeper. I don't know, you know, and that's the ambiguity. And, and that's the beauty of the, of the spiritual life that I'll have people come to me and explain their family history and everything else that they've gone to. And they'll say these profound, you know, sayings. Maybe they won't put them in writing, but they'll, they'll convey them either in the confessional or in direction or just in passing conversation. And it's like, what is it that you want, you know? And I can't just direct them to one single okay, here's the book that you need to read. If it not be the the Word of God, you know, because the, and, and, and the Word of God as literary form is replete with all these different imageries, but um, they have to encounter Christ. They have to encounter um, this fullness of divinity who, who mediated himself in his humanity to us today and continue to do that through. So the church isn't only looking for people to, move into the Catholic ghetto and take up residence. We're asking people, you know, and you can read this in Vatican II, Lumen Gentium, and Gaudium et Spes, we're asking people to actually be in the church and to go out into the world and to draw others to be, mm, um, to, to be attentive to the transcendentals, truth, and goodness, and beauty that are, that are always around them, and that through them that they would seek to follow this God and to discern for themselves who this God is. But he has revealed himself. It's not just like, well, choose for yourself. It's he has revealed himself, and um, how does that impact your life? Maybe you maybe you discover God through literature. Still, go to Mass, you know, follow the moral life. Um, I don't know. I don't Amen. Know. That's it. CatholicStuffPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.